0: Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show.
1: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Long Talk. Today, um, we're going to be talking about an interesting one. A sport that doesn't want to be competitive by the looks of things. And one that, when I did a bit of research, did not come from where I thought it came from, um, which is an interesting one, because we are going to be talking about parkour, um, which is all about getting from A to B in either the most um, economical fashion or, or the most direct fashion or in the most stylistic fashion, depending on which type of parkour you um, get involved in or free running. But again, we'll talk about the differences of that. Because today I have the CEO of um, Parkour New Zealand, um, Dr. Damien Puddley. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. So we'll get into all of that stuff later. But um, life is a journey, um, um, as is parkour. Parkour is a journey from A to B. Um, so let's, uh, let's start off with your journey. What's your first sporting memory, be it either playing or watching? Of any kind. Of any kind. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I think...
2: Probably when I was about six or seven, I uh, was in a dance class um, here in Hamilton, uh, okay. in New Zealand. And um, all, all I remember is the term step ball change. So if there's any dancers that watching this, they'll probably know what that is. I don't remember what it is anymore. Um, but... Uh, but I, promptly, well, I did about a year of that and then quit because I had to play rugby because my friends played rugby. And yep. so most of my early uh, sporting memories besides that sort of first introduction around dance uh, are, are all about rugby.
0: That's interesting. Uh, obviously most, a, a lot of um, Kiwis, obviously you can talk by my accent on English, but a lot of Kiwis, yeah, talk about, yeah, it's the first, first time is running out playing, as you say, playing rugby, quite often in uh, bare feet and quite often full contact at the age of about five or six. Um, <laughs> or, or the other one is... Um, Waking up at like three o'clock in the morning um, and uh, sat in front of the TV with their parents watching uh, All Blacks overseas games is another common, a uh, common one with uh, with a couple of Milo. We, did you, uh, did your parents uh, get you to do that as well?
2: My my parents are not particularly sporty. They, they, they were more interested in theatre and things like that, so maybe that was why I sort of ended up gravitating towards dance initially. Um, so I sort of bucked the trend in terms of my heavy involvement within the sporting landscape um, compared to the rest of my family, although my grandfather was a very keen uh, football player and cricketer and, and loved his rugby and, and things as well.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um- the uh, and we're we, we gonna there's going to be a few interesting steps I think um, on your journey looking at uh, looking at LinkedIn profile when you sort of jump around between things. But um, so did you ever play any sort of representative sports or did and, and did you continue rugby throughout your school career?
2: I never really played at a rip level. I think I tried out for a few things um, from memory, but I don't think I ever got into anything. I played I played locally for Taupere, Um mm-hmm. In Hamilton or around Hamilton and then um, but my family moved to Canada and lived in Toronto for eight years and so there I played for the Toronto Nomads and um, but I started picking up a few injuries uh, and so I, I I got swung around by a guy in a, a sort of a friendly match against our own uh, it, within our own club against an older grade. Um, they, the coaches thought that would be a fun idea to put the the sort of the under 14s against the under 16s and a bit of a friendly scrap. And some guy named that they nicknamed angry Terry strung <laughs> me around by the Jersey and I broke my collarbone. Um, and then the following year after that, uh, managed to break my jaw. Uh, and so, um, that wasn't too flash. Um, but moved back to New Zealand and I played for Hamilton Marist and, mm-hmm. and I had a concussion and it was then that I realized, um, I'm 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 what I'm about seventy five kilos seventy kilos depending on where I'm at uh, and about one hundred and sixty seven centimeters tall and I'm still playing centre I'm not getting any <laughs> bigger um, and I've just had my first brain injury I don't think I want another one so
0: I I stopped playing rugby. That's interesting because uh, I um, I mean parkour is, is 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 not really a team sport. Mm. But it's interesting that you that you. Uh, you are playing team sports all the way through your your upbringing and your school career because uh, uh, I was—I'll be honest—I was expecting something maybe like a tennis or a or, or, or something like that to come into to to, to be in your background, but no, um, you you, you playing team sports.
2: Yeah, I sort of dabbled in a few different things like that. Like I remember doing tennis um, when I – a part of tennis club at school when I was – before moving to Canada. And uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I tried my hand at skateboarding because I had some friends that were keen skateboarders and surfers and things, but that didn't quite seem to suit me at the time at least. And then moved to Canada and besides that, maybe a little bit of uh, roller hockey Sort um a little bit of baseball, um, just sort of pick up games and friends in the park or in the cul-de-sac, um, yeah. And then back in New Zealand, um, a little bit of volleyball, social touch. Um, but yeah, for the last sort of 11, 12 years, it's almost been exclusively parkour.
0: The uh, well, you've done, you've, you've uh, ha- ha- tried your hand at quite a lot of things, which probably uh, explains your role in um, uh, with with, with uh, sort of being with. Um uh, was Waikato sport uh, at the moment? So, um, well, sport Waikato, sorry. I was going the wrong way around. Um, but, but before that, a laborer, you, you, you've, you we've, it um, uh, was that sort of after school, got involved in, uh, in well, collodion da- daffodils. So it sounds like planting
2: daffodils. Yeah, I worked on a daffodil farm for a couple of years and I loved it. It was, uh, you know, it was outdoors in all weather. Um, people say, you worked on a daffodil, a flower farm, a daffodil farm. So, well, they've got to come from somewhere. Um, yep. So it was, I really enjoyed it. It was just a varied job. It was, stuff was happening in all seasons and it was different every time. Um, and yeah, I did that while I was studying my undergrad at Wintech.
0: Ah, okay. So it was, it was a part-time um, mm. kind of thing. Um, but, but the way you decide, obviously we go, oh, flower farm, oh, it's just, Flower arranging—it's all kind of—but no, you're you're digging trenches, driving tractors, um, (laughs) very manual. uh, In its yeah, yeah, not not the not the kind of image of flower arranging or or flowers that you'd kind of think. So you did that during your undergraduate, and then you you switch from being a this 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 is the jump that I just couldn't see from a labourer to being a a director of a fitness company. Um, Mm -hmm. How does how does that jump come about?
2: So I, my studies were in sport and exercise science at Wintec and I really, really enjoyed studying there. And I, the, the flower farm, the daffodil farm was owned by family friends. And so that connection was just an easy, easy one in terms of um, being able to secure that job. And um, it was kind of flexible in terms of hours, um, which was helpful. And so it just fit around, easily fit around the studies and, Uh, following the degree uh, a close friend of mine we had been um, doing a little bit of um, fitness work together and started this um, little company called Shape Living and we were just yeah doing personal training and group fitness instruction and just finding ways to get people active in different kinds of ways getting them outdoors rather than having to be stuck inside a gym Um, and so in terms of I guess doing physical work outdoors that's I guess
0: part of that uh, <laughs> part of that work. Okay. Of that. So was, was this kind of, of I, because I, I, that's probably around about that um, that sort of time. I remember being sort of in, in Singapore and Hong Kong. There were lots of uh, um, kind of boot camp and um, sort of CrossFit with with stretchy things done in parks and trying to get out out of out of out of, um, mm. out of gym. So it was, it was all part of that movement, was it? Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, similar, quite similar to that. And the um, and then you decided actually you know not. This whole studying thing is a great idea, um, and, um, you, and and also, obviously, obviously you like you like letters, so you decide to go back and um, and, and do some more uh, re- um, study at the at, at, at University of Waikato. Um, but actually, going down the teaching route, which is, I guess, I guess a bit like bit like personal training, training people, teaching. There's a there's a kind of crossover there.
2: Yeah, well, so it was, it was my PhD that I did um, at the University of Waikato and so I finished that last year um, and I I had always wanted to do further study after doing my third year um, of my undergraduate degree and I had took a, a sort of a research paper and I was like, this is when you get to do your own work, this is really cool. Um, and I, I had gotten into parkour at the time and I – Basically, spun all my all my studies towards parkour because I thought if I can if I can study parkour, one, it's going to make my studies even even more fun, but also it's going to um, potentially support the parkour community. And at the time, no one knew what it was at all, and it's still a, a little bit of an unknown in, in lots of places. And so, uh, so I was really interested in further study, but I was doing it in biomechanics at the time. That was my honors year as a biomechanics research and looking at the way. Parkour practitioners land when they're landing from from jumps and from drops, um, and looking at these different landing forces that impact on their body and how do they cushion their falls and things like that. And I thought that was interesting, but I could I did, couldn't justify that being three years of my life on that project. But also, how much impact is that going to have on the community? And um, and so I wasn't so interested in it. Career-wise, I just thought it was how, how valuable could it be for the community? D- didn't have an idea, and that's when the personal training and group fitness work was happening. But I was already quite involved uh, with parkour NZ, and so um, I got asked to participate in, a, in an interview um, by uh, Professor Holly Thorpe at the University of Waikato, and she was doing some research on parkour, and so did that. And then from there, she invited me to attend a, a Sport NZ conference um on a panel of different people involved in action sports broadly so we had surfing and and skating and a a media um representative and through there i i met a colleague of hers who'd recently uh moved to new zealand to pick up a position at the university and they both sort of brainwashed me into doing a a PhD in sociology of sport, which was a bit of a departure from the biomechanics, um, and yeah, so I, I looked at the globalization of of parkour
0: um, from a New Zealand lens, and yeah, now I'm Doctor Puddle. Well, yes, and uh, you've um, so you've, you 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 were one of the founding members, uh, according to the uh, um, New Zealand parkour website of, of the association there um, back in uh, back in 2013. So when did you actually take up parkour?
2: So I started parkour in two thousand and eight. About August, probably August two thousand and eight. So it's almost twelve years
0: now. So how did you stumble across parkour? How did you find out about
2: it? When I was living in Canada, I saw it on a an ad on TV. It was it was Rogers, which is essentially Vodafone. Um, but it was uh, there was just a bunch of young people running around the city trying to find each other. And they end up on different buildings and then they're laughing and they're like, oh, we should have used the phone and buy this phone or, you know, this telephone company. Um, and so, but it didn't explain what it was. And so I had to do a lot of digging and it took a while before I figured out what is, what is the thing that they were doing called, um, but didn't know how to get involved. And so I just sort of left it. But after moving back to New Zealand, the first person I made friends with at Wintech was Hamilton, if not, New Zealand's first practitioner and so he invited me to come along and I was quite nervous initially and I had this opportunity and I wanted to take it and then it was there and I sort of chickened out a little bit (laughs) Um, so it took a few months um, but then eventually I I went along and um,
0: the rest is history. That's interesting because you mentioned parkour being there kind of part of the action sports and you sort of put it alongside um, uh, skateboarding and surfing which are both uh, have kind of an anti-establishment um, mm. uh, culture to them. I always thought that the background of parkour was that it came out of basically um, uh, social, uh, well, estates in France, but um, generally um, social housing estates in France, and how people got around that. But reading, having had a, a quick read up on it, parkour actually refers to the um, the military piece of of getting across a an assault course, which I, which which was which was a bit of a surprise to me that for for a sport that from the outside the culture appears to be anti-establishment, it seems to seems to have very its roots in a very well in the military in a very establishment kind of part of uh, a society.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a quite an eclectic discipline. So the, um, yeah, as you say, it um, in terms of. Having a name put to it and having a culture, you know, developed um, around it. It did start in the sort of impoverished suburbs of France in Paris, and um, with these <clears throat> this group of young men who, um, yeah, if you read some of the some a couple of the books and stuff that are out there on some of the history, talk about them. Uh, having various influences on their life, including family in the military and in the fire service, as well as athletes, um, track runners and, and, and different things like that, uh, influencing their practice, but also wanting to kind of escape gang life um, and, and stuff that was common amongst their peers. And so it ended up developing this, this practice of, of, of going around and taking some of this training of overcoming obstacles in a course Format to just the, you know, the brutalist architecture and things that were around them, um, as well as the the sort of the forests and uh, um, other natural areas and things um, in the areas as well. But yeah, the, the term parkour itself is anglicised. So the, the original French word is spelt with a C and it has an S on the end, and that means route or course. Um, so parkour du combattant is a course for combatants, which is the military obstacle course. So,
0: yeah, it's interesting, and also the that, um say so, so I'm I'm not not claiming by any stretch to 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 have read in depth, but but uh, um this this source this concept that actually it's a uh, it's a martial art in in or, uh, in in some ways a sort of way of uh, yeah. sort of uh, well the the whole idea of the of the of the of the, the assault course is to get from you to the enemy without getting shot at basically, um, and uh, so in, in that way it's, it's a kind of martial art sort of how you get from A to B without getting hit. Um, uh, and a yeah, the last of running away. Well, running away. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and that whole spiritual side of it was something that I was totally unaware of. It's not just, a, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, so it does have some sort of rich philosophical roots, um, and some of that's drawing on um, some Eastern philosophies and things, but also drawing on the you know, the ideologies and and, and ideas of the early practitioners. So one of them is, uh, well, there's, I guess, philosophies that are inherent to the practice. So things like you can, you can overcome obstacles, you know, that's the sort of no one is holding that up on a flag as such necessarily, but that is obviously in, inherent to the the pursuit of we believe we can do it. And, and this is the outworking of it is us actually going out and exploring these spaces, but there are some, um, things that are shared around one is called, uh, to be and to last um which is around um, well it depends on the person actually but some people's interpretation are around sustainability uh, and so it's it's not a um the original practice was not a an aesthetic practice any aesthetics were a byproduct of of, of working hard but it was wanting to um, be able to practice in a way that allowed you to keep doing the practice and so it wasn't about you know I've done it for three years at the peak level and now I've retired it's it's sort of a this life pursuit which ties it more in with with martial arts in that respect um, and then another piece is be strong to be useful so again as as a activity that wasn't primarily meant to be aesthetic um, it's not like bo- bodybuilding which is all about the aesthetic it's it's a practice of well if you pick up and learn these skills and you get stronger and become more capable what you know what value can you bring or what use are you, are, you, are you and how are you supporting those around you so those are some of the ideas that underpin it sort of altruism and um sustainability but it's gone. It's come a long way since since then. So there's certainly some people who are not training particularly sustainably um, and are very much interested in the
0: aesthetic. Um, but it's uh, uh, and it, it's it's also a, uh, well, it, there is there is a competitive side which I will get to, um, after. But, but also yeah, because it's come through that uh, uh, that route of you say, uh, or, or originally of, well, a the altruism, b the again, uh, giving you a pursuit that gets away from the gang piece. Um, yeah, it's 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 it is a, I guess a bit like sort of mountain climbing in some ways. Um, about it's about pushing your body and about seeing what you can do, uh, and with the others rather than what what you against the elements rather than necessarily you against someone else as to who can get through something. It's who um to, um, to doing quicker or harder. Uh, it's about you, yeah, getting through that course uh, as a personal mm-hmm. challenge more than a more than a competitive challenge on the whole, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And, and also part of the lifestyle, as you say, it's a lifestyle thing. It's something that also, uh, if you don't do it regularly, I guess it's pretty tough to, it's, it's not a pick up and put down sport uh, either because the conditioning you require. Well, it depends
2: because, you know, you get to make the cho- you get to, it's a challenge by choice activity. And so you get to choose how, what is it, what is an appropriate obstacle? Is it, is it a tall building? Is it a tree? Is it a curb? Um, so it's, you know, incredibly scalable and you then also get to choose how you overcome it. Am I stepping onto the curb or am I jumping onto the curb or am I flipping onto the curb? And so all of that is customizable as well. And so, um, so I think you can pick it up and put it down. The challenge is where, you know, if you were training to a really high level, uh, or you know, just training regularly all the time, like I would, we would go out and train for four hours at a stint, um, and just be walking around and exploring places and, you know, there'd be lots of breaks in that time period, but easily my training sessions when I was studying would be, you know, two to six hour training sessions. Um, and yeah, got very strong and very fit and very, um, capable in ways that I hadn't been previously through my other sporting experiences. And now I have a family, I have a full-time job. Um, and in my, extra hours I'm trying to support the administration work of, of Parkour NZ and, and Parkour Earth, so I have a bit less time to actually get, go out there and train. And so sometimes when I step out there, it's like, I know what I used to be able to do, <laughs> and I would like to be able to do that, but is it is that sensible for me to try right now should i at the very least warm up or yeah so it goes it definitely goes through ebbs and flows but um i do think you can pick it up and put it down so long as you're being sensible about what you choose to to, to do
0: yeah sensible thing is a big thing i i used to be um a a, a, a good a very good skier um uh and um up, up to basically while well, school was when i left when went to university and so i wasn't doing mm-hmm. uh, sort of four weeks at christmas and four weeks at easter uh, in your skiing, I was just doing one week uh, and um, on holiday. And suddenly, uh, yeah, put myself at the top of one slope, threw myself down it, knowing I could, well, thinking I could always do it. I could ski this easily. Um, two turns in, realized I'm out of control. My body's not doing what I'm telling it to do. Um, and I survived that run. Yeah. Um, I, must admit, I then took off those skis. I, I skied down, took off those skis, and I never put skis on again. And I now snowboard, purely because now my, my head... What, what, my, what my what my body can do and what my, my head thinks I can do are matched, whereas with skis they're a million miles apart um, yeah. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to be a bit careful yeah. F- falling down a... So you can definitely, like if you search up some groups
2: you know, there are people who this, they devote themselves to this, you know, they are like the All Blacks of parkour who are immensely capable, have, have learned to, you know, get their bodies to do amazing things and they know themselves so well, uh, but you can... Just like people go for a run, you know, you can train to do a marathon, or you can become a sprinter, and you can do these things really fast, or for a long time, or, or turn it into a more of an obstacle course race. You know, these big long endurance events and different things like that. But you can also just go out for a jog, um, and so in the same way. Doing parkour doesn't mean you have to be going from building to building or with any great speed or, you know, the intent is up to you. So um, it can be explored fairly casually. Um, one of the challenges for the community is is what messaging is put forward because certainly the, the things that people would say are extreme or um, adrenaline fueled of the things that get the clicks. And so that's often the stuff that gets shared um, more so than, you know, the fact that there's... You know activities and and classes and groups that work specifically with pensioners so you have the elderly doing parkour um it just doesn't look the same as you know a, what an 18 year old's training might look
0: like okay so so it is a uh it, it's a very accessible sport then um and uh, and it's and it sounds more like a lifestyle rather really than a sport uh in, in 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 some ways uh a bit like um a, some people suggest that crossfit has become a lifestyle rather than actually a sport nowadays yeah, sure. I can I can see that parallel, and I think yeah, inclusive in theory
2: because I do think that the the culture and the, what media and different things uh, you know perpetuate a specific image. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I started, there was no particular you know body type I guess associated with parkour. There was no sort of yes, there were the founders um, and they had a particular way of moving, and they they did look athletic and and strong, um, but. Most of the other people, you know, YouTube was invented in 2005. One of the early documentaries, Jump London, was was in 2003 and a follow-up one in 2004. And so I came onto the scene in 2008, about three or four years later when it was sort of starting to boom around the world. And people just had these, you know, Bad quality little cameras and just filming themselves trying different things, and that everyone was pretty uncoordinated, but just excited about going out and being creative and trying this new thing that they'd heard about. Um, and you know, a, a lot of people refer to themselves as as you know they were nerds before they got into parkour. Like my friend who got me into parkour he was into things like wakeboarding and snowboarding, but he hated team sports. And he, he has a story about himself falling asleep, playing cricket when he was a kid um, on the field. And, uh, and, but just, you know, hated all that sort of stuff. And so you had, had a group of sort of misfits and people who didn't get, who got picked last for the team and all that kind of stuff and got into this practice. But now 10, 15 years later, they're strong, fit, lean, capable people with this vision of, oh, parkour is super inclusive, anyone can do it because this is my story and this is my history. But now everyone looking at the parkour community now, it's all of these people who have worked so hard and may, you may not know their histories and their stories, and so it looks less accessible because it looks very athletic that you need to look like this and look like that. So the, the challenge for um, the community and for the organisations and the clubs and the people running classes and things like that is to say Actually, it can be like this, and this is what it used to be like. And you know, don't be put off by the amazing stuff.
0: Yeah, I guess, uh, and and in, 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 uh, I I guess one of the other differences is, uh, something like, like surfing. You have, there there, there are certain size waves that as a beginner, you would go nowhere near. And and if you watch competitive surfing, you wouldn't want to be surfing in in those waters, you'd be dangerous. Uh, But I guess that's a kind of natural thing, as you can see. Okay, I can do a small wave, and that's a big wave. Whereas, Mm -hmm. You see someone going up the outside of the outside the stairwell on a um, um, on a uh, on a, on an outside apartment block, and you go, "Well, I can't imagine a small one of those." Um, it's, <laughs> there isn't the same kind of graduation, even, but but yeah, as you say, the small one of those is actually a curb a curb on a, a, um, that, that you can also uh, practice on as well. One of the things I sort of touched on on the intro was that uh, it's about getting from A to B quickly. And we talked about that through the, we've sort of mentioned that on the the foundations of how how one of the routes into this has been via the Assault course. Mm -hmm. But there is also an aesthetic side to it, which I think is is what people refer to more as free running rather than, and I guess what's the difference in parkour and free running? Are they really different or are they just two versions of the same sport?
2: Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. So um, a lot of people particularly now use the term parkour to just mean, Everything within the practice, whatever it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, some people uh, would differentiate between, as you say, parkour being a little bit more um, utilitarian or, you know, uh, type movement skills that are a bit more practical and freerunning be a bit more expressive and acrobatic. Um, and then you'd also get people who train what people might say is parkour and it's, you know, it's, it's the practical movement skills, but they're used to calling themselves a free runner because that got more popular within the UK, for example. Um, and so and then there'd be people who say they're doing parkour and it is very acrobatic. So it, it, it's, it makes things a little bit messy at times. Um, so we use the t- term parkour to mean everything, but um, yeah, on the Parkour NZ website, we do sort of say that uh, free running can be tied with the more um, acrobatic expression of the practice.
0: Right. Okay. Um, and as so, you've you've been sort of on. Uh, had, had an association here in uh, New Zealand for the what's nearly eight years now. Um, you're recognised, I assume, by by uh, by New Zealand Sport.
2: We so we were uh, so I took over. The role in around twenty were we're actually um, incorporated in twenty eleven, okay. um, and we do not have an investment relationship with Sport NZ, um, but we're in regular conversation with them, and they they know who we are. Um, and Parkour is listed on the Sport NZ website, and it comes through to us, um, but we're not yet, uh, you know, in their not a
0: funded. top forty or top fifty or whatever funded uh, funded sports. Now, I did have a chat with New Zealand Sport, and they said, "Look, there are seventy-five sporting associations in New Zealand, so I guess you're one of those, but not one of the, um, but yeah, not one of the funded ones." <laughs> um, the uh, and so, how have you grown over the past? what is it? So, so um, what ten years? Pretty much what eleven years? Or nine yeah, years well,
2: ago. it started
0: out uh, people connected
2: via online message boards, forums, uh, and so that was sort of the first collective thing. Besides the forum that the community did was recognize you know, we, th- we see great value in our practice and we're learning all this wonderful stuff and it's teaching us so much about ourselves and about our, our world. But everyone thinks we're just jumping off buildings. You know, if we formed an association of some kind, would that be perceived as more legitimate? Because that's what, um, you know, everyone else is used to seeing within the sporting landscape in New Zealand. So that's what we did. Um, formed uh, New Zealand Parkour Association, short form as Parkour NZ or Toho Kai Aotearoa. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so we we were started in Wellington, um, and I yeah, I well, my my signatures on those founding founding documents, but it wasn't really my brainchild. I was just part of those early conversations, and then we, um, I because I was getting so excited and so interested in it, and some some changes in in what was happening in some of the original um, people's lives, I ended up taking over the the leadership role in around 2013 and um so it's basically been in hamilton uh, ever since um just because of my uh, involvement but yeah we went from it was just a just a bit of a website uh, and then we started running our own classes um and so we were both um the national national body but also a deliverer um you know most rather than purely an administrative body also uh um, doing delivery and um, that model remains at this stage, but most of our classes are based in the Waikato and out of Hamilton. Um, but uh, well, yeah, we we do a range of different things. We have events and things around the country. So um, how, how many members are you up to now? That's always a hard one. So we have a you know we have a membership base o- around you know fifty odd practitioners and stuff that are you know. That pay a fee and sort of invest into supporting the organisation, but you know there'd be there'd be you know a couple of hundred practitioners around the country that sort of parkour is their main thing, um, and then there'd be you know ten thousand or more people having a parkour experience throughout the year. Um, they're really hard to gauge because you know if you decided actually I might have a little go, you know next time you go for a walk, um, you know um, I might climb over that bench there or you know try something like that. And so it's hard to that's to get hard to gauge that you know af- there'll be um, You know athletics will know how many people they have that run certain distances um, because of their registrations, but you know, you have to look at the Sport NZ data to try and get an understanding of how many people just go for a run. Um, and so parkour is starting to get added to those pieces, those surveys and things like that to gauge a better understanding of, of what the practice looks like. Um, but I think it'll always be a little bit difficult because it is the practice is spanning from people who are participating in it as their core activity, as their sport, to people just doing it very casually. You know, it, it's, it feels and looks like children play um so um that's hard to quantify
0: the um and um the so, so do you also we've said it's mainly a a lifestyle rather than the competitive sport but there is a competitor i believe there is a competitive side to it as well and so do you run and host competitions
2: yeah it is now so traditionally it is non-competitive um and uh it would be interesting to know it had what it would be like if you know certain people, figureheads or different people um, hadn't gotten involved and pushed it in that direction. Um, but um, humans are naturally competitive, um, and so um, they have created uh, a number of different formats around the world uh, to try and, I guess, in some ways, kind of monetize parkour and and create a a format that is competitive um, as a different kind of event. And so um, they traditionally follow well so far it's still continues you know it's a very young uh activity so it continues to evolve but those competitive formats tend to follow three three different areas one is essentially a speed you know a short form obstacle course type race and that's lasting anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds sort of time frame um maybe a minute at the, at the, at the largest um, type of course and then uh, also a an acrobatic more acrobatic expressive sort of thing where maybe they have access to a certain part of the course and they have to choreograph a performance of some kind within a certain time limit and that is judged um, on a few different pieces of criteria and then an one that's sort of in between those two in terms of purely a speed element in terms of it's easy to quantify you got this fast or you didn't, um, and, a, and a completely subjective judging piece. And that's uh, a, what they call a skill. And so those are predefined challenges that people have to try and complete in and maybe the lesser number of attempts or do it the cleanest, um, and so those are sort of the three that are most typically being explored um, at the moment. And so yeah, we run run every year um, up in Auckland um, at Flow Academy of Motion, um, an indoor um, training facility there, and it's called uh, Jamzac because we call our events jams, um, and we we hosted it around Anzac weekend, so Jamzac. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Um and that and that equates to basically being the, the the national championships, I guess as well, from a- as, 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 yeah. as, as from that point of view, um, so interestingly, yeah, three different um disciplines there. Uh, and uh, I, I guess the, the middle one, which you say where people choreograph something, um, is it uh, is it done to music or you do or do you do it, um, or is it just purely choreographed within that space? It, it's usually, I don't think it's, I don't think I've seen any that have been
2: explicitly choreographed to music. There's often they might pick a song and have a song playing during their run, right. um, but that's usually
0: just to help make them feel comfortable um, in what they're choosing to do. Okay, so it's not like, got like like figure skating where you have, where you have those, I mean, at the Olympics you have two types of figure skating, one which has got lots of jumps and the other one which is kind of expressive to the music. Um, kind of it's not got to that kind of level where it's not got to, well, it's not, got, not not actually level, but it's not gone in that direction to be... Kind of when it goes bang is when you're supposed to land and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, not, not yet. Although there are you know parkways being included in performance aspects, so not in a competitive style, but more in a theatrical uh, in and performance ways. And so in that aspect, there is things that are being done to music. Um, but yeah, not in that competitive style way like figure skating.
0: Cool. Um, now, and as you say, you, you, there is an indoor facility up in Auckland. I believe there's one here in Hamilton um, as, as 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 well. Um, can you, for those people who haven't seen one, can you describe what does an indoor parkour facility look like? Well, they, they all look quite
2: different, um, actually, which is, which is good, I think, is a good thing. Um, but I guess imagine uh, a cityscape, a miniature cityscape of, of walls and bars and boxes and things like that, um, but typically made out of plywood. Um, with, within an indoor facility. So they're often, um, in New Zealand at least, there's no purely parkour facilities. They're all multi-use facilities that incorporate um, other things. Um, so the one in Hamilton, for example, adjoins uh, was owned by the same group that owned a mixed martial um facility called MMA. And so the parkour side of the, the gym also has a foam pit and a, and a sprung floor for, for tricking which is basically flatland land acrobatics um, as well as things like tumbling and cheerleading and um, g- more gymnastic skills and things like that. So there's often a range of these different things. Some, you know, um, flow has some trampoline tracks um, um, into their foam pit space. Um, uh, I always find this funny, but flow has a, a warped wall from Ninja warrior. So even though there's no Ninja warrior in New Zealand, I think that wall in, even in Kiwis' heads, they've seen Ninja Warrior Australia or the UK or the USA, and they're, th- oh, I've seen that wall. I know that wall. I'd like to try if I could, you know, see if I could get up. So both their gyms have a have a warped wall uh, in it. But yeah, flows flows um, obstacles are, are basically just bare plywood, so it's just a brown sort of colour, and they have these big big blocks that can actually be flipped on their sides and shifted around and so heavy that they don't move anywhere but they can sort of basically change what the gym looks like from time to time whereas the Hamilton one has a um, sort of a samurai and Dragon Ball Z themed uh, graffiti art and stuff all over it um, to create a di- quite a different aesthetic and it's more fixed obstacles but with a lot of movable smaller pieces um, as well so it varies from place to place and i recently actually saw a gym in uh, in belgium that i hadn't seen before which a lot of it is basically steel bars so lots and lots of swinging and different kinds of movements like that but actually a lot of brickwork um so it's less is actually made of plywood and it's actually more replicating the outdoors
0: um because uh, the, the bar thing sounds um, pretty similar to the professional um tag competitions um that, uh, that i've seen on youtube which basically. Look like your basic pieces of scaffolding with the with the with the casual platform yes. here and there, um, which is yeah,
2: uh, lots of scaffolding. We'd get in trouble if we called it scaffolding because then you're supposed to have railings and you know do you know height stuff and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, but uh, yeah, we usually go one one size down from from a typical scaffolding size
0: pipe. But yeah, that's steel pipe. That that kind of that, that yeah that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, the other way of looking at it is uh, if you've seen a skate park, take a skate park and anything that's sort of slopey, make it blocky, and that's pretty much what a parkour park looks So kind of a bit similar similar to, is, is, how, is how I kind of, uh, from, from from the photos that I've seen, it's is kind of what it kind yeah. of looks like for those of you who've not seen, uh, to, try, to try and describe it audioly um, <laughs> as it were, in words. Um, so I guess it's now becoming an all-year-round sport. I, I, I'm assuming it was a bit of a summer sport that doing it in the rain wasn't, um, would, would, wouldn't be such a fun thing to do and also be a bit more dangerous, but I guess by having these indoor facilities it, it becomes yeah, an all-year-round daytime, nighttime uh, kind of sport now. It varies
2: from community to community. So we, you know, for example, in uh, countries that get a lot of snow, they naturally gravitate indoors um, already. And so um, a lot of them have a lot more indoor gyms um, and Things like that, whereas uh, you know other places around the the equator and areas like that are just training all the time. Um, and in New Zealand, you can you can pretty much train all year round. And the so for us the the in the community the the gyms provide an alternative way of training. And certainly, if it is wet or it is cold, you can you can go into those spaces and use those spaces or or know that it's always consistent. You know, you'll always have it, be able to have access um, to it, whereas you know when you're outdoors and you're training just on the obstacles and things that you find um, sometimes it's blocked off with a fence because they're doing some construction or um, something's being painted or things have been renovated or they've cut your favorite tree down or you know so it's always changing so you're never quite sure whether um, what's going to be there but rain is in some ways just another obstacle yeah you probably can't move in exactly the same way but you can still adapt to it and continue to move. So yeah, our outdoor classes that we run in Hamilton, for example, uh, we've never cancelled due to weather. So um, yeah, it's we're on all the time.
0: Oh, I oh, there was me about to say. Look, the the indoor one makes it more accessible to or or, or the kind of the intro way to to it because it is, as you say, a controlled environment. It's all. Um, but it sounds like yeah, you, you're doing classes inside, outside, um, all over the place anyway. So no, that's not necessarily the way and that might not, be the, might, might not appeal to certain people For some people it probably
2: is a bit more palatable when they see it indoors it's sort of it's a bit they might be a bit more used to that kind of environment being in an indoor type space and they might feel a bit more comfortable to try um, but the whole practice is about understanding yourself and overcoming the obstacles so it's it, it's you know training indoors isn't necessarily a pathway to train outdoors you don't have to start inside in order to do it outside everybody started outside originally, um and um and actually if you only ever train outside when you go indoors sometimes you can, there's a lot that you have to learn as well and so it's yeah they're not uh, they're not identical so it takes a bit of uh, exploration to understand both
0: you could say everyone started outside originally but everyone yeah but then again originally they started running away from gangs as well i'm not sure we all want to do that but of of, of the or, or recreate that part of it either um but no, um, no you need to <laughs> <laughs> the um over over, over in france uh, now we've talked about some in auckland and uh, hamilton i see those links on your website uh, it, i mean is it something that's, that is you have practice? You, you know of sort of groups down in wellington I mean, obviously you mentioned wellington's where where park uh, new zealand Park actually uh, was was founded so i'm guessing there's still uh, still happens there uh, and also a presence in the south island
2: Yes, yeah, involved. yeah. So there's 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 you know groups um, from Whangarei you know, down to um, down to Invercargill. So there's communities training in pretty much most um, major cities um, in, in, around the country. Um, I think some areas of the east coast and sort of Gis- Gisborne, Hawkes Bay, those areas, there never has seemed to be a large community um, in some of those places. Um, but yeah, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin. Uh, even nelson um <clears throat> invocable um, all have um, groups but it's, it can be a bit transient, particularly if it's young people that are picking things up and they they get really excited and, you know during high school and there's a whole bunch of them and then all of a sudden they go off to university. And so what used to have this tight bubble or group of practitioners in one city, all of a sudden they've spread out and gone this place and that place. And so we, we seem to get these, um, except for those that are starting to have the indoor gyms or things like that, the, the community seems to ebb and flow a bit more. Uh, and so, um, yeah, but there are um, a couple of uh, indoor gyms as well in the South Island. Island, uh, one in Christchurch, or
0: two in Christchurch, and one in Queenstown. Um, okay, so so it's one of these things again. So in, in some communities you're waiting, you waiting you still haven't quite got to critical mass. Um, in others, it, it has done. So yeah, in others it's much more 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 permanent um, permanent crowd. Um, two other things I want to touch on before we finish, but um, the you talk there about sort of it can just be jumping over a, a, a over a bench or. Various places can be sort of uh, um, closed off, and we've seen signposts go up in some areas saying "no skateboarding here." Um, yeah. and, uh, and, that point of view, how is that uh, relationship with the uh, with the authorities um, as far as to, as to uh, d- do they like you to see you clambering over a over a bench, um, or is it seen as a bit a bit of a kind of hooligan behaviour?
2: Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, so you know, primarily people are sticking to public areas and public spaces, parks and um, infrastructure and stuff that's uh, pr- predominantly at ground level and, and accessible to anybody. Uh, but people's interest in pushing themselves and testing themselves and finding interesting architecture does sometimes mean that they end up trespassing um, and moving onto private property or maybe the public areas, but scaling higher to find other you know, features and things like that, and so yeah, some people do um, find themselves um, having to have conversations with security or property owners. Um, sometimes police, but it's mostly security. Um, you know, in, in the US, they're always having to deal with police, for example. But in New Zealand, it's 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 more the security um, companies that are employed by the by the building owners, um, where you have most of your conversations. And some of them, some of them, know exactly what you're doing, and they might actually really like it, and they think, oh, this is I, you know. This is really cool, and I would I could watch you guys for hours, but I'm going to have to ask you to move on, um, just because you know um, we are liable if you hurt yourselves on the property, so things like that. So that's that's a constant frustration for the community when they want to have personal ownership of their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they have no interest in um, pursuing. You know, I mean, we have ACC in New Zealand anyway, but, you know, they have no interest in pursuing litigation of, you know, these places. They know that they're doing parkour and none of these places were built for parkour. Um, And so um, they do get annoyed at that, um, but rightly so, they are not on their own property. So, you know, they have every right to be moved on by by the people who own those spaces. So, um, but we... Some of the, some some communities, you know, the the focus for them is, is train. If they get moved on, they'll leave. Um, and every now and again, someone might get into an, an argument, but most people just say, "Cool, yep, absolutely." Uh, is it okay if I just get one last video, or so, you know, something like that? And then and then we'll we'll shoot off. Um, so most groups are like that. Uh, in Hamilton, we we did that, but we also made a real effort to actually communicate and talk about the practice, such that. Um, obviously, I did my my. Uh, PhD at the University of Waikato, but we run our classes there, so we, there's constantly a training uh, presence on at the university on the grounds. That there's no problem so long as we don't come up, climb up on the rooftops, um, and there's endless obstacles all over the campus. Um, so we're there all the time, and so we get other other parts of the country and us trying to work with the other universities' campuses to say, you know, you can actually embrace this activity in a holistic way that's can actually support the growth um, of the university itself and the, and the life of the university, rather than just looking at it purely from a, um, a, a sort of a fear and health and safety
0: point of view. Um, and you, you, you said in there that uh, it wasn't made for parkour, but in some ways, everything that's been built is made for parkour. That's part of the idea. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The flip side. Uh, <laughs> a of the ladder. Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's uh, and I guess and the, the way we connected on on LinkedIn was around um, public access and use of facilities. Uh, and look, if it's, if you're not damaging the facility, um, why not use it in another way um, that, uh, that that can be used by the public? It's um, yeah, makes makes a lot of sense.
2: The economic value of those spaces, you know, we, yeah, we do have you know New Zealand's first outdoor parkour park is um, at the Hamilton Lake Lake Rotoroa, and um, which we helped design and. You know, it's great to have that as a facility, but, you know, we talked more and more with the Hamilton City Council. Don't don't go and say, oh, well, we'll build you a park, stay in the park. So like, that's not what the practice is about. This is, yeah. cool. this is a cool way to celebrate it, create some architecture, create something totally unique and have a bit of a focal point down at the lake. Great, great space, great idea. But the practice is about exploring all these other spaces. And so if you don't have to build a park and you can just enable people to use these existing spaces, then it absolutely increases their value um, without having to spend any money.
0: Um, And, yeah, perhaps an extra thing is uh, um, uh, um, architects, if you want to know how you could add a little bit of uh, parkour into your buildings, um, I'm I'm, I'm sure you'd be happy to provide advice on that one. So all architects, listen. Yeah, we just,
2: (laughs) we want people, you know, things get torn down because it's maybe ugly older I would say ugly, uh, you know, brutalist type architecture, but some of that stuff is actually built to last and all the new handrails and things getting put up are like, you know, very cheap metals. And it's like, Oh, we can't use that because we're going to break it. So we have to go somewhere else. So please build strong things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing you touched on earlier about parkour earth. And I I guess this, this, this astounds me that um, basically until last year, there wasn't a global um, Association of Parkour uh, and, and you've, you've put that together um, uh, with, uh, with with some other countries um, last year for the first time. Is that right? Uh, almost, yeah. So
2: 2017 um, we got formed, and I and I took over the CEO ro- uh, role last year uh, in August last year. So the. Yeah, there has been multiple attempts, even from as early as about 2004, maybe, um, to set up an international body for parkour, but it was always kind of independent or kind of unilateral to the community. It was, you know, it was this group in this country thinks it's a good idea, so they've started it and they're asking everyone else to join them and support their idea, um, which different groups found it difficult to engage with that. And so this is the first... uh, I guess, inter- true international federation in the sense that you, we had six national federations come together and say, we want this, we need this, let's build it from the ground up in a sort of a grassroots democratic way um, and create something like that. So
0: and, and an interesting combination of, um, of countries as well. So you've uh, obviously New Zealand, um, I mean, you've got some France, England and Poland was a bit of a, a surprise. I mean, I was, the park was a big, big Polish thing.
2: Yep. Yep. So the Polish uh, organisation is there. South Africa, um, France, Switzerland, UK, Finland. Uh, we've also got the USA um, in there joined recently, and in ongoing conversations with um, you know federations around the world that is, uh, are just getting form- formulated formulated. Because PAC was only just entering into some countries, um, let alone being able to formalize something more um, organized, like a a national body. But there are national bodies in Israel, Japan, um, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, a number of other European countries as well, Croatia, Chechia. So they they are all over the place and it's just around people you know connecting and communicating with each other and starting to learn and we're at the moment we're actually just going through a a global engagement process to hear from all the federations whether they're affiliated or not and hearing from the grassroots practitioners as well as the the influencers and the content creators within the the media spaces around parkour and hearing you know what what could an international federation look like both to really support parkour in the best way but also what does a contemporary international sport federation look like? You know, when you're seeing all this, you know, we shouldn't need to have all this athlete activism around the world because we should have, national, you know, international and national federations that actually support their athletes and their community. Um, you know, do we want to be corrupt or not corrupt? You know,
0: <laughs> what choose <laughs> do we want to follow? Um, well, you, you've, and, got to, you've got to have money first before you can get corrupt really surely. Um, so yes, yes, yeah. we <laughs> haven't got any of that, so we're <laughs> safe for now. <laughs> <laughs> now you you are very right that it's, um, that uh, when, when you when you end up with a professional sport you end up with competing priorities. You have the uh, obviously there's the actual people who do it, and then there's people who watch it, um, and then there's people who are looking to make money out of it or or, or or to or to gain out of it. And so yeah, who actually owns as um, in inverted commas that sport, um, and who should it be designed for? Um, as, as, as well so yeah there's that's definitely a conflict that we see well in, in rugby for one um but in many sports um and even in the IOC which is supposed to be the sort of amateur which has, has supposed to have its whole ethos in the based in amateurism but some there you go um that's um thank you so much uh, look, uh, is there anything I've, I've not touched on from a power core point of view that you'd like to like to highlight
2: Oh wow! I mean, we could—I could talk parkour forever—and um, just did so with one of these global engagement sessions for, for two hours this morning. Um, but yeah, I guess that it's—we think it has a, you know, great value. It's—it is something that you can participate, you know, in these range of different ways for these range of different motivations. You know, um, anyone can just go out and start looking at the world a little bit differently. And I think maybe that's something that I'd be interested in just highlighting is that it starts, yeah, the things that I think about and I'm involved in now, a lot of that has just has come through the practice of parkour because it's shown me a different way of of using the world, of interacting, being creative um, with the world, you know. the work I'm doing with Sport Waikato has definitely been shaped by my parkour experiences. And, you know, how do you make something more inclusive? Um, and, oh, look at these parkour people who are being creative and using something in a different way. Why can't other things be done like that? You know, when we're building anything, are we thinking about it only for the the, the person who's, who's paying for it? Um, but what, are, what who else is going to benefit or be enabled or disabled by, by this space being there? And so, um, yeah, I think it uh, it really does change the way you see the world, and I can't turn it off anymore. <laughs> I'm always looking around the place and um, my parkour eyes, my parkour vision, thinking about how I can get from there to there and, and, and do that thing. Um, so, at least once, I think people should just go go have a try, see if it
0: changes the way you see the world. Well, perhaps on uh, um, you need to have sort of, uh, I, 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 I don't know a, a fun fun competition as to who can. Uh, who can get from the uh, sort of supermarkets to the car park with a with, with, with a plastic bag full of shopping, um, and add, add it as a as a kind of as a, as a fun silly element. Have a crazy golf kind of style crazy crazy parkour where you've got to not, yeah. not spill the milk between uh, A and B, um, or whatever, or, or, or yeah, don't break any eggs. Um, anyway, thank you. It's been fascinating um, chatting and learning about parkour. As I say, it's it wasn't uh, it's it's not the sport that I thought it was yesterday. Um, uh, with, with, with the research that i've uh, that, that i've put into it um that whole it being a lifestyle and the uh and kind of um a, a non a non-contact martial arts kind of um, kind of a, a approach is something that i was was, was totally unaware of um, and as you say that whole looking at the world in a different way um the sustainability side of it as, as well is, is all pieces that i don't think people are aware of uh, so thank you for bringing that, uh, that to light for us. You're most welcome. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank uh, Everyone who's watched, um, please do subscribe to our Facebook page, um, New Zealand Sports Radio. You can also listen to us on the move. Just download New Zealand Sports Radio at um, on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, or your favourite podcatcher. Um, and you'll find that uh, um, Parkour, um, New- Parkour NZ or Parkour New Zealand are also on Twitter, Facebook, all of those sort of places. So if you're interested in In giving it a go, um, you can find them on all your socials and they also have a website as well with links to um, various uh, clubs and other um, indoor facilities if you want to do it in the warm and dry, which is how I would personally do it, I'll be honest. Um, Thank you all and uh, catch you all next time.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ,